without any further ado, I'd like for Brother Johnson to come and that he speak to us, preach to us, brother. Praise the Lord, everybody here today. What a deep move of the Holy Ghost we're having in this house here today. Thank you for the music team for their choice of songs here today. And Brother Nelson for his, his uh, following the Holy Ghost here today. A lot of things that he said in pre-service you're getting ready to hear. Once again, I feel absolutely confident in the message that I have for this church today. And for those who are not here today that should have been here today. And I tell you what, I just, last time I was preached like this, we had a move of the Holy Ghost, and I just kind of, oh, what do you do here? What do you do here? God's moving through this, and I don't want to rush what He's trying to do in this place today. But I have come with a burden on my heart here today, and I have come to preach the Word of God to this place and to those who are in need here today. If you would, open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 10 and verse 12. Exodus 10 and 12. When you got it, say amen. Amen. Exodus 10 and 12 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the land of Egypt, for the locusts, that they have come up upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land, even all that the hail have left. And Moses stretched forth his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locust. And the locust went up all over the land of Egypt and rested in all the coasts of Egypt. Very grievous were they. Before them there was no such locust, and they neither after them shall be such. For they covered the face of the horror, so that the land was darkened. And they did eat of every herb of the land, and the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. And there remained not any green in the trees, or in the herbs of the field, through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron in haste. And he said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore forgive, I pray thee, my sin this only once, and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. And he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord, and the Lord Lord turned a mighty strong west wind which took away the locusts and cast them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the coast of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go. I'm going to preach here this morning with the help of the Holy Ghost, the burden of God's heart about the winds of change. The winds of change. As we have been going through these services here, there has been the winds of change in this church. The winds of change are forces that have power to change things, used generally to mean change is going to happen. The winds of change have began to blow of revival in this church. It is an event or series of events that signals or precipitates a large and important change in results. A fundamental shift in power or policy, unalterable current, not under the control of any leader. 
Lay your Bibles down, raise your hands and your hearts to heaven here today and let's talk to the Lord for just a little bit as I begin to preach the Word of God in this house here. Lord God, I ask you here today in this place, Lord God, that you would anoint my lips, Lord God, speak the name that you should hear and remove throughout this house here today. God, that you would touch hearts and minds in this place, Lord God, and have your way in this service today, Lord God. I ask the Lord God that when we leave this place today here that we wouldn't leave the same way that we came in, that the winds of change could blow through this house as it already has, Lord God, and change the hearts and minds of people here today and give us a new outlook on the things that are to come in this place, Lord God. I bless your holy name here in this house. God bless you is our prayer. You may be seated. Between the close of Genesis and the opening of Exodus, four and a half centuries intervene. Thus, that we find the nation of Israel is enslaved by a new dynasty of the Egyptian royalty. Exodus chapter 1, verse 8 through 11 says this. Now there arose up a king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them lest they multiply. And it came to pass that when they were fallen out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us. And so get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Ramses treasured cities, Python and Ramses. Notice in verse 11, Satan has made it his priority to keep the saints of God from their priorities to keep us so bogged down with tasks and problems and issues that we neglect to spend time with God in prayer, in church, and in His Word. Because of the burdens that are laid upon us by the taskmasters, as a result we become burdened down and driven by the forces that are seemingly beyond our control. And unknowingly we allow a taskmaster to afflict, to afflict us with burdens and to drive a wedge between the spiritual man and the carnal man that we are. Pharaoh and his taskmasters of Egypt attempted to wear out the children of Israel by placing on them extra burdens upon them which were hard to bear. And in our day, Satan attempts to increase our Egyptian responsibilities in hopes of doing the same thing. His motto is, if I can't beat them, let's wear them out. And the, Israel's needed, the Israelites needed deliverance. The word exodus means simply a way out, a going out, to exit or to depart. In this book of redemption in the Old Testament, it is the, mid, it re, it is the message of redemption by blood by God's chosen people. Exodus begins telling how God came down in grace to deliver an enslaved people and ends by declaring how God came down in glory to dwell in the midst of a redeemed people. Moses' message was a message of complete deliverance from Egypt. Our message today is the same, a complete Deliverance from sin. Exodus chapter 6 verse 6 says this. Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with a great judgment. It is God's complete intention to deliver you from all of the Egyptian bondage. It is His attempt to bring you out of this world. Egypt is a type of the world in the scripture. The gospel is about getting yourself out of Egypt and keeping yourself out of Egypt and keeping Egypt out of you. But Pharaoh, a type of the devil, does not relinquish his hold without a resistance. Exodus 14, 9 through 12 says this. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen. 
and his army and overtook them encamping by the sea beside Pirahoth before baal Siphon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because they are, there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us, to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians that we should die in the wilderness. You hear that? Listen, we, we, we kind of chuckle at these verses here. But let me tell you for a fact, me included, sometimes while facing long situations and tough, tough things going on in our lives, I often think myself it would just be better for me to quit and easier to go back and have to deal with all of this. For 430 years, all Israel had to know was bondage. They had bread and leeks and onions, but yet with bondage. They had houses, yet with captivity. They had clothing, but with confinement. They had existence, but with anguish. They had beatings, but with... They had being but with beatings. They had substance with sorrows. They had presence but yet with pain. They had life but no liberty. They had security but no freedom. The church was Israel's. To stay in Egypt with its humiliations and its poverty or to attempt the exodus and chance the wilderness. They had a choice. Bondage or bread or freedom and uncertainty. I'm here to tell you today, you have a choice. It's either Exodus or Egypt. You hear me here today, you don't belong in Egypt. To the Hebrews, the wilderness was an unknown. What would, be, what would they encounter in the wilderness? How long would you be there? How long would it take us to make it to the promised land? There were, are there any guarantees on when we're going to get there? Hey, we're just like these people. We, we say the same thing. We're creatures of habit. I mean, anything changes in our world, we kind of we stutter step. There is no order in the universe. There is no guarantee in safety in this world. Life is very much a journey unto the unknown. The most certain thing about life is his absolute uncertainty. Seven astronauts crawled into an astronaut about 30 years ago, 40 years ago when I was a little boy, and they never thought that their spaceship would blow up in mid-flight. 3,000 people went to work one day in a building, never knowing that an airplane would fly in and destroy them. And you hear me here today, you can get a phone call and everything in your world will be upside down. But I've noticed sometimes, Brother Nelson, that people rather continuate in their situations and tolerate almost unbearable situations instead of going into the unknown future. We can even read that in our Declaration of Independence that was written to us some 200 and some years ago. Since the children of Israel were slaves, being savagely abused and cruel, sadistic taskmasters, then why not take a chance of the exodus into the unknown? I've known people who were drunks and miserable, but because it was their only life they have ever known and it was familiar, they were afraid, afraid to try change. I've known wives and children who were subjected to terrible abuse at home and, miser and were miserable, and the father who beat them was miserable as well. But they only stayed there out of fear and the known of familiarity and continue on in their pitiful polite. I've known people to exist without joy and, the face, and face each day without peace. They were terrified of the time frame of eternity because of the fear of the unknown. They plod along in their miserable lives wanting change, but at the same time, 
refusing to take that step that would take them out of the land of Egypt. But why here today? Why? Because most people are afraid to die because they don't know what's going to come next. Their soul is not ready to meet their maker. It's like the story of two caterpillars. Two caterpillars crawling on the ground. One nudged the other and said, saw a butterfly flying in the sky. And the other said to the other, I wouldn't get up in one of them for a million dollars. Us, just like the caterpillars, are afraid of change, even though it would benefit us. With the beatings, the humiliation, and the lifestyle of a deplorable poverty, the only comfort uh, that much of Israel felt that day came upon the dependence of Egypt. Their comfort in their miserable lifestyles. The wilderness only promised desert heat, shelterless nights, dreary days, foodless marches, and the gnawing hunting sense of the unknown. It took courage to get up and leave Egypt and plunge into the wilderness. It took heroism to abandon the usual and the normal for the unknown. It took boldness to forsake the painful existence of slavery and pursue an ambition in the desert. Hence the words that we hear, the cliche, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Israel had to make a choice, Exodus or Egypt. Freedom or slavery. And after the choice had been made, the adversary still tracked them down and returned them to their captivity. At the Red Sea, there were still some wishing to go back to Egypt, back to bondage, back to the familiarity of their lives, but not and the slavery, then rather to pursue the dream of freedom in an unknown wilderness. It was at this point that God had to pose the question to the children of Israel, what will it be for you, Egypt or Exodus? God is calling somebody here this morning, whether you're sitting here or whether in Red Oil Land, I'm asking you here today, what will it be in your life? Will it be Exodus or Egypt? Will it be bondage or deliverance? Misery or the miraculous? Satan or the Savior? Hell or heaven? Gloom or glory? Pain or the promised land? Blood and sweat or milk and honey? What will it be for you this morning? I'm here to tell you, you can leave Egypt behind. You can draw the sand in the line here today and say no more. And you're not alone because God is here to help you out of that land of Egypt. The message of Egypt is still for us today. It's about deliverance. It's Christianity is about deliverance. The church is about deliverance. The ministry is about deliverance. God's message to the devil and our message to those bound in sin today is these words, let my people go. Eleven times in the scriptures that we're dealing with here today, this word is spoken, let my people go. But why let my people go? And I'll just use a few examples here. Exodus 7 and 16 says this. And thou shalt say unto him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me unto thee, saying, let my people go, that they may serve me. That they may serve me. Exodus 8 and 1 says this. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Exodus 9 and 13 says this, And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning, and stand before Pharaoh, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. 
And if Pharaoh doesn't let you go, there will be consequences. The reason that God wants his people free is that he has plans for your life. He doesn't want you bound in bondage of sin. He wants you to tell others of the power of deliverance and of the glory. Exodus 10, 1 and 2 says this. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might show these signs before him. And thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son. That you may tell the, in the ears of your sons. And of thy son's sons. And of your son's sons. What things I have wrought in Egypt. Ah, of what things I've delivered you from out of Egypt. And my signs which I have done among them. And that you may know that I am That the Lord. you may know that he is the Lord and he is able to bring you out. Satan cannot stand against the power of the church's message of redemption. Hell must get out of the way when the gospel is preached to any willing and repentant heart. If you want salvation, you can have salvation. Satan can't do anything to stop that. It's the preaching word of the gospel that can loose the chains and shackles of sin in your life. Romans 10 and 13 through 17 says this. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. So the subject here is hearing the word of God. And how are you going to hear the word of God through the preached word of God? Jump on down there, verse 17 says. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. As God sent Moses, he sends a preacher to help deliver you. God doesn't fight the way that we think he does, and the way that we think it ought to be done. God uses all kinds of sorts and measures to bring you to a place of repentance. As we see here in the story of Exodus with Pharaoh and the plagues, the showdown between Pharaoh and God came during the ten plagues. The total number of Egyptian gods is uncertain. When I did my research yesterday, it says most, most of them in the list, they seem to think there was about 80. Most of them were living creatures, inanimate objects. They were considered the embodiment of some deity. Even Pharaoh himself was considered to be a god. So the plagues were more than just a demonstration of God's power. Each one was a judgment upon the idolatrous worship of pagan deities. God comes after the gods of your life. He comes in after the things that are keeping you bound and destroys those things out of your life. I know we make fun of these people that probably worship frogs and bugs and livestock and all of this crazy nonsense, but we laugh at these things, but I just want to bring something to your attention here today. I got one for you. The chief's kingdom. That's all we talk about at work. That's all I hear about when I walk in there. Who, who, what's Patrick Mahomes is going to do? And I'm like, dear God, these guys need something else to think about around here. I'm glad I'm getting my truck and leaving because I couldn't handle this much longer. God has a way of stopping that too, my friend. We saw that happen. It's called COVID. He can shut that down as well. During this confrontation, Pharaoh acted like many people do today. While he was feeling the effects of the plague, he would do anything or say anything just to get out of trouble. But as soon as God removed the trouble from his life, he would harden his heart again and go back to the old ways in which he operated. 2 Corinthians 7 and 10 says this, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. 
The sorrow of the world working that. I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry enough just to get me out of this situation. Just get off my back here. I'm sorry. First six plagues, Moses stretched out his hand to pronounce the plague. And the magicians did likewise. Up until the seventh plague, where the destruction of hell came and took away the livestock and the crops and everything else. But I'm here, here to tell you today, just like Pharaoh, I'm preaching this from the Pharaoh side of things today, if you haven't noticed. I'm preaching from the Pharaoh side because there's a lot of parallels that Pharaoh did in his life that we do in our life here today. I tell you, Pharaoh didn't do, didn't went back to the things because things don't affect us as much until it hits our wallets or touches our children's. Then it begins to become a situation in our life. And I'm here to tell you here, even by this time, even Moses' servants began to get the picture. Hey, things are getting pretty bad around here. We might want to take note of what this guy's having to say. By the eighth plague, the locusts came. And at this point, it, it got real. As we would say in today's vernacular, the struggle is real. Exodus 10, 3-4 says this, And Moses and Aaron came in unto Pharaoh and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. Ah, there we are again. Let my people go. Else if they refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring the locust into thy coast. Many today do not understand the ramifications of a locust plague. In the Middle Eastern deal, the people would scream, the locusts are coming, the locusts are coming, the locusts are coming. When they looked up and saw them, they would scream in terror. Many, the locusts are coming. The people of the Eastern civilizations, it is said that they would rather face standing armies and chariots and men than to face the plague of the locusts. Because you can build walls in your life to keep out wicked men and keep out situations and things in your life. But when the locust plague came, my friend, you weren't going to stop them. And I'm here to tell you today because you, the locusts, when they come in, they turn the city upside down. The locusts would bring great civilizations and great kingdoms. They would destroy great empires, crops, cattle, and everything. And it is said, not when they got done destroying the crops, and the cattle which couldn't drink. What happened when these locusts died, they brought on a plague that would make the people sick and cause death. That's why, that's why uh, Pharaoh said, take this death away from me. Is it because he knew that it was going to bring a plague. Exodus 10, 5-6 says this, And they shall cover the face of the earth, that one cannot be able to see the earth. And they shall eat the residue of that which is escaped, which remaineth unto you from the hail. And shall eat every tree which groweth for you out of the field. And they shall fill thy houses, and the houses of all thy servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither their fathers nor their fathers' fathers have seen, since the day that they were upon the earth unto this day. And he turned himself and went out from Pharaoh. The locusts acted almost mindless. They go straight ahead, not wavering to the right. Or to the left. They come in by swarms, literally by thousands, and go straight forward. If they hit a wall, they just go up and over it. If they go, they go through the cracks of the wall. They never go around anything. It was always just straight ahead. They're going to eat everything in their sight. And if they come up to a window, they were just coming right on in the house. They, they crawled on everything. They ate everything. They would just eat everything in sight. When it got, when they got done, there was nothing left. People in that time I found in research, they would set their own fields on fire 
just to try to kill the plague so it wouldn't take other people's crops. Trying to wipe out the plague of the locusts. They hit a river or pond. They would just walk right off into it and die and make a bridge with their bodies for others to climb on and follow and just keep going. It's an amazing thing. And when you begin to understand such the dreadful thing as a locust swarm, and this is even more amazing when I did research on it, their ability to reproduce was... (laughs) was unbelievable. These things could just basically just come up out of nowhere. I mean, they laid so many eggs, and and within a few days, there was more of them. Here they come. In Psalms, God talks about a time back in Egypt, and He said this was the purpose for the locusts in the land of Egypt. Psalms chapter 78, verse 46 says this. And He gave also their increases unto the caterpillar, and their labor unto the locust. He gave their increase to the caterpillar. You look that word up, and we'll go on in here in a little bit. It's still a subspecies of the locust. And he gave their labor. Everything that they did to increase their wealth, everything that they did to increase their power, the locust was brought in to take that away from them. Well, you say, that was for Pharaoh's day back in that time. What does that have to do with me today? Well, while doing some research, you might want to go look. It still happens today. It is an amazing thing that we don't hear about it here in the United States. But when the locusts come, think about it. They destroy the crops. They destroy everything. It kills people because you, don't, you can't eat. If it, it, back in then, that's all they did was cattle, sheep, farming. They didn't have Walmart like we have today to just run to and get some, some type of food. They, they, their survival depended upon the crops of the land. Notice what Pharaoh's own servants had to say to him. Exodus 10 verse 7 says this. And Pharaoh's servants said unto him, How long shall this man be a snare unto us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Knowest thou not yet that Egypt is destroyed? Notice Pharaoh couldn't even see his own miserable conditions. People around him had much... How much more of this can you take, Pharaoh, in your life? Everything in your life is destroyed. Just let go, Pharaoh. Let it go. While keep living in this pain and misery. Why do you keep living there? Can't you see that it's destroying your life and those around you? Is it really worth holding on to when it takes everything dear to you? But like many, instead of repenting, having a changed heart and changing directions, they hold on to their lifestyle with a bulldog grip, refusing to let go of things in their life. Exodus 10 and 8 through 11 says this. So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. All right, he told them, go and worship the Lord your God. But who exactly will be going with you? Moses replied, we will all go, young and old, our sons and daughters and our flocks and herds. We must all join together in celebrating a festival to the Lord. Pharaoh retorted, The Lord will certainly need to be with you if I let you take your little ones. I can see through you, your evil plan. Never. Only the men can go and worship the Lord since this is what you requested. And Pharaoh threw them out of the palace. I read that. I had him read that out of the New Living Testament just to make some clarity to the Scripture in the King James. But the deal was Pharaoh wasn't going to let go of them. He was holding on to them with uncertainty grip. We, may, we pick up the text here today where I started in my sermon. Exodus 10, 12-13 says this. And the Lord said unto Moses. And the Lord said. 
unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come up out of the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land, even all that the hail had left. And Moses stretched forth his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. I want you to notice in these scriptures, it didn't say that this happened by circumstances. It said, and the Lord in verse 12, and in verse 13, and it says, and the Lord. The, the Lord brings it in, and the Lord can take it out of your life. It's the Lord that does it. Things that are happening in your life are happening for a reason. Pharaoh's refusal to repent brought a harsher judgment on him in the land. Notice, notice, nothing just happens in life. There's a reason. God can bring good and he can bring bad. The rain falls on the just and it falls on the unjust. These list of plagues, that Pharaoh, this last one of the locusts, finally gets Pharaoh's attention. Exodus 10, 16 through 17 says this. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste. And he said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore forgive, I pray thee, my sin only this once. And entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. Notice Pharaoh's attitude after the locust. His sincerity and repentance. He finally says... Lord, Moses, I've sinned against you and your God. Please forgive me. This is how terrible that the locusts were. You say, what does... That, that's what God does for my enemies. He doesn't bring that stuff into my life. Well, let's read in the book of Joel where the Israelites were in a backslidden condition and Joel begins to stand up and preach and starts his sermons off with about locusts. Here, in a matter of hours, every living thing in Joel's time was stripped bare. Everything was cleared off. There was nothing left. And the devastation was so complete, it says, that they couldn't even make offerings to God. God, In Joel's prophetic writings, he's not only writing to a time of Joel's time, but he's also prophesying about a time that will come in the last days to a people of now. In Joel versus Joel... Verses chapter 1, 2, and 12. It talks about the destruction of the plague. But I'm just going to read two verses here. Verses 4 and 5 out of Joel. That which the pommel worm have left, the locust eaten. And that which the locusts have left, hath the canker worm eaten. And that which the canker worm have left, hath the caterpillar eaten. Awake, ye drunkards, and weep. And howl, all you drunk, drinkers of wine, because of the new wine. For it is cut off from your mouth. This is a dire situation to the people of Judah and the southern kingdom. Here, the pommel worm, the locust, the canker worm, and the caterpillar are all still members of the locust family. They are at different stages of their life after researching this. They're still part of the locust family. They do different things to affect the crops of that time. Joel, but that's not it. God talks about how we can solve this problem in Joel as well. Uh, Joel chapter 1, 13 through 20 says this. Gird yourselves and lament, ye priests, how, ye ministers of the altar. Come lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of my God. For the meat offering and the drink offering is withholden from the house of your God. Sanctify ye a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land of the house of the Lord your God and cry unto the Lord. 
Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. But it's not all doom and gloom. There's a promise at the end of this at repentance. There's a promise to those who choose to repent and obey. Joel chapter 2, 12 through 14 says this in the New Living Testament. This is what... This is why the Lord says, Turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. Who knows? Perhaps it will give you a reprieve, sending you a blessing instead of this curse. Perhaps you will be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord your God as before. And then Joel begins to write about what is coming for us in the last days. Joel chapter 2, 28 and 29 says this. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out of my spirit. So God is going to pour out His Spirit upon all of those in the last day. There's something about the locusts that I did not mention earlier, and I did it on on purpose. Uh, But with all the damage that these locusts can cause, there are some characteristics that we need to take a look at. Exodus chapter 10 and 13 says this, And Moses stretched forth his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. The locust is in the family of the grasshopper. It is a straight-winged, narrow insect. And by all rights, you must understand something about the locust. Though he travels for miles and miles, he cannot fly. The wings are too narrow for him to fly. But he can travel through miles and miles through the air, but he can't fly. And if you see, and if you're looking at his wings, you'll miss the strength of the grasshopper. The strength is not in his wings. The strength is in his legs and his ability to jump. The locust can jump almost 200 times his height. When you see a a locust, he's smart enough to know when the wind is blowing to jump. And he's going to see where life takes him. You see, Pharaoh repented and God sent the wind and drove out these locusts. Exodus 10 and 19 says this, And the Lord turned a mighty strong west wind, which took away the locusts and cast them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the coast of Egypt. Notice here in verse 19, not just some of the locusts of the land, but all of the locusts were driven out of the land of Egypt. It is the preached word of God and your willingness to repent that will drive the locust out of your life. Let me prove it here for just a little bit as I prayed about this scripture. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 through, we'll go through 4 right quick. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that hath spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts with wild honey. I want you to notice something here, and I've always wondered why the writer of Matthew put this in here. But as as he makes, <laughs> it, still, it still cracks me up. It's, it's John's fashion statement. Why are they writing about John's fashion statement and his dietary needs in the Scripture? But there, there, there's a reason why that this is written. Notice that the camel's hair was an animal 
that was used to bear the burdens of its owner and the time and to carry the owner's loads. The leather belt is represented by the, the word of truth. Ephesians 6 and 14 says this. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Notice his food was locust and wild honey. Psalms 19, 9 through 10 says this. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. And Psalm 119, 103 says this. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, ye sweeter than honey to my mouth. The word of God is sweeter than fine gold and sweeter than honey to the mouth. What I'm trying to say here today, that the... John the Baptist was preaching repentance. He was preaching things that would chew up the locusts and bear the burdens of your life. As we go on here in Matthew 3, 5 through 10 says this. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan confessing their sins. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, we we'll have stop there. Stop there. Notice what John the Baptist says. He's not preaching a flowery message to people. He's calling people snakes. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You need to bring forth some proof that you have repented in your life. John the Baptist is preaching to people. He's trying to drive the locust out of your life. And, and as we go on down through here, as we let's start with verse, uh, let's start with verse eleven, uh, chapter three, uh, three eleven, Matthew. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff which is un with unquenchable, fi unquenchable fire. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand. When we're researching this scripture here, some translations say a winnowing fork. Winnowing is a process in which when the grain is harvested out of the field, it's brought to a place called the threshing floor. At that point in time, they grab the bundles of wheat and they bang it on the floor, trying to separate the wheat from the straw. At that point in time, it's not good enough in, in the wheat's life. Next process is going on is they grab that grain as they, in that pile that they've beat out, and all of a sudden they chuck that grain in the air, and the wind comes through and blows the chaff and the bugs and everything out of the wheat. And the wheat falls back to the ground. I'm talking here today, it is a process here today of the wind blowing through your life. When the wind blows through your life, it's going to blow out the chaff. It's going to blow out the locusts. It's going to blow out the alcohol. It's going to blow out the cigarettes. It's going to blow out the, the gods that you think that are important in your life. When the wind comes, it's going to blow it out in your life. Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4 says this. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. 
And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You talk about the wind of change in people's lives. When the wind of the Holy Ghost came, it changed their lives. You talk, Acts chapter 2, 13 through 21 says this. Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, it seeing as but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. We'll and cut I'll... it there. In other words, he's referring back to the scriptures in Joel, talking about as people were making fun of these people that were being delivered and being filled with the Holy Ghost. He was talking, he was talking about the days of Joel. Preceding this talks about repentance. And then, Joel, and then Peter picks up the message by saying it comes to pass. And he goes on down through there. And if you go on down through there, he starts preaching to the Pharisees, to the ones who began to start, who uh, murdered Jesus at the cross. And he tells them at the, at the end, after they were pricked in the hearts, Acts chapter 2 and 37 through 39 says this. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as of our Lord our God shall call. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That is the will of God for everybody's life here today. This is a promise from God. If God gives you a promise, it's going to come to pass. It's not only for you, it's for your children and to those for afar off. I'm coming to my closing here today if the musicians want to come. Today's message, I want to tell a little story Today's message comes from something that come across the radio at a truck stop. And then I was talking to Brother Jerry about it the other day. I began to whistle to this song, not really paying, realizing and paying attention that this is, a, this is some rock song that I used to listen to in the world. How in the world can I remember the, the, the words of this song, but I can't remember anything else? And I began to whistling. But I just remembered the meaning of this song, and it hit me so hard. The song is called The Winds of Change, which I took my title from here today. It's, it's a song written to a group of people in a time of severe bondage. It's, it's on July 12, 1987, President Ronald Reagan of the United States stood at the Brandenburg Gate near Berlin Wall. He made an earnest appeal to Mikhail Gorbachev, the leader of the Soviet Union, for him to heal the wound of division between two nations, East and West Germany. The Berlin Wall divided Germany both physically and ideologically from 1961 to 1989. It was a symbol of the Cold War. When it was erected, it forcibly separated families, friends, businesses, culture, jobs, and everything else that would be in general. The gaps between the two Germanys grew as the years went by and an upheaval of epic proportions happened. West Germany remained free and prosperous. East Germany was stifled with poor economic growth and restricted from freedom 
due to communism. The wall was heavily guarded. Many people lost their lives and were arrested for simply trying to escape over this wall. In his impassioned speech, President Reagan made the appeal that included the since immortalized words. General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and for Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this walls. His words were not met with an immediate impact, but they affected the tectonic plates of an already shifting political landscape of Eastern Europe. And two brief years later, the Berlin was torn down and the world separated. Mr. Reagan's word, word stirred an awakening of hope within people of a divided Germany. The awakening led to the breakdown of the Berlin Wall on November 9, 1989. The Berlin Wall was not torn down by means of a deadly war, but by forces set in motion by the power of words. And I'm here to tell you today, you can build walls in your life and push people out of your life. As you heard Brother Nelson Saylor, you can put this facade up to keep people away. But God can send the locust to your life and He can still reach you. The walls that you erect in your life can also become prison walls of your own life and can destroy you. But I'm here to tell you today as President Reagan said his words, tear down those walls. I'm here to tell you today, tear down the walls of your heart here today. Let the winds of the Holy Ghost blow through this place here today and change your life here today. I'm asking you here today, God has a way of reaching you. He can reach you with His goodness or He can reach you with His severity. Jeremiah 16 and 16 says this, Behold, I send many, many fishers, saith the Lord, and they shall fish them. And after will I send after many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and from every hill and out of the holes of the rock. God will send people into your life to fish for you, to lure you into the goodness of God, to bring you into His presence. And if you keep building those walls and keep resistance, then God sends the hunters. And they're going to hunt and stalk you down, and they're going to find you. Romans eleven twenty two says this, Behold therefore the goodness and severity of God on them which fell. That's good. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. God tries to reach you with this goodness. God's love reaches and reaches and reaches and tries to bring you back to a place of repentance. He reaches you constantly with love. His goodness. He tries to get you to a place of repentance. But when that doesn't work, He has another option. It's called severity. But it's not all about destroying you. It's about getting your attention and leading you to a place of happiness. It's about getting you to a place where you can walk into the house of God and rejoice because everything in your life has been restored. God, the, God, the way He intended for you to do all along, let Him work in your life and come. Just as a locust ha uh, had sense enough and strong enough legs to jump when the winds are blowing, do you have the strength enough in your legs here today to jump up and come to this altar when the winds of the Holy Ghost are blowing. 
Joel 2 and 25 says this. And I will restore to you the ears that the locusts had eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army. He's going to restore unto you everything that you have lost. We've heard promises to this church about the exact thing. God is going to restore unto us, not only to the church, but to your life as well. Next verse, go on, brother. And you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God and, and hath dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. And you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed. Notice here, he's going to restore everything to you. He's going to bring you back to the house of the God, the house of the Lord, so you can raise your hands and praise the name of the Lord. And it says here, I am in the midst of Israel. God, the one who spoke this world into the existence, is going to come into this place and he's going to be in the midst of his people here today. Pharaoh made a choice and decided to go back and keep doing the things he did and perished with those in the Red Sea. The people of Joel's time made a choice and decided, you know what? This is too much for me. I need to repent. And it's no different for us today. Even Moses, the one who came to Pharaoh's court on the backside of the desert, had to make a choice. And I close with this saying, Hebrews 11 and 24 through 29 says this. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy pleasures of sin for a season. He chose to suffer the afflictions with the people of God to rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. There is pleasures in sin, my friend, but they're only for a season. They're going to come, and you're going to have to answer for Him. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. What we have in this house here today is greater than anything that is in this world. When the power of the Holy Ghost moves in like it did this morning, it is the greatest thing that life has to offer. I'm here to tell you today, you may be empty on the inside, and you are Pharaoh in a sense because you are in charge of your own world. And you have a choice here today. You can either repent and live a free life, or you can perish here today. And through faith He kept the Passover, sprinkling of blood lest He destroy the firstborn that should touch Him. And by faith passed through the Red Sea on dry land which the Egyptians are saying were drowned. I'm here today telling you that you have a choice. You have a choice in life. You can stay in Egypt or you can choose Exodus here today. What will it be here for you today? The altars are open right now if you'd like to come and pray.